Everybody, welcome to episode 174 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode I am continuing my run through season two of the Salt Kind produced Superboy television series with episodes 11 and 12, The Power of Evil, and Superboy Rest in Peace. And uh, before I go on, I want to talk about uh, an article that was recently uh, brought to my attention by uh, listener uh, Jeffrey Arnold. He uh, sent me a couple of scans of an article in Comic Scene Magazine in October of 1989 before, uh, right around the time that season two was beginning to uh, premiere. And I talked a bit about the changes in the show and uh, how the show moved from uh, filming at Disney Studios to Universal and stuff like that. And one of the things they talked about uh, that I was unaware of it talked a little bit about the uh, departure of John Hames Newton, uh, not so much about replacing him with Gerard Christopher, aside from the fact that the article documented uh, Christopher's love of the character. But I mentioned uh, several times during my coverage of uh, the first 10 episodes of this season that Gerard Christopher's Clark Kent is uh, very nerdy, and that is by design, apparently, according to this article, which, by the way, in uh, referencing the departure of John Hames Newton, it does not mention any morality clauses or DUIs that Hames may or may not have received. I don't think an article like that is really the place where something like that would show up. But basically what it does say, and I found this very interesting, that Newton was vehemently opposed to Nerdy Clark and that that was kind of one of the breaks between Newton and the producers when the show was retooled. And, you know, that kind of shows the performance. John Hames Newton Clark was uh, more of a normal guy as opposed to the kind of nerdy version of Clark that we're seeing in the first uh, few episodes of uh, season two. So I just wanted to point that out before I went on. It's really not feedback, but it's just something interesting that uh, that Jeff had sent over. Jeff had also sent over uh, some scans of a, of an article of about the Ruby Spears show. But at this point, all of the uh, Ruby Spears episodes have... Uh, come out so i haven't uh didn't read all of that when i was reading uh, the superboy one this morning while i was getting my car inspected so i didn't have time to read both but i'll uh, definitely uh read the other one and report back in a later episode i just wanted to get that superboy one read because that's pretty current to where we are on the show right now so uh thank you jeffrey for bringing those articles to uh my attention i uh appreciate it and they were interesting reads so now we'll go into the feedback segment Feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man and Screen, episode 163. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Although it wasn't a great episode, Stand Up and Get Knocked Down brought back some 80s memories for me. Stand-up comedy is one of my favorite performing art forms, and I well remember the exp- explosion of stand-up clubs and TV specials during that time. It doesn't surprise me that Bonkers might have paid the producers of Superboy to feature that club on the show, and I can understand the disclaimer at the end making it very clear that no illegal drug use occurs there. I won't say that's not true, since I have no 
firsthand knowledge of it, but comedy clubs in the 80s were widely considered to be hotbeds of drug use, particularly cocaine. What does surprise me is that Bonkers would willingly be part of an episode with a central plot involving illegal drug use, probably not the best use of whatever money they might have spent. Meet Mr. Mixie Spitalik was certainly a better episode. For me, it's hard to go wrong with an episode featuring our favorite fifth dimensional limp, especially if they're going to go with a comic accurate costume and a decent pronunciation of his name. Michael Pollard, who appeared in many 60s TV series, not as a regular, but he seemed to show up on something every few weeks, is hands down my favorite live-action performer of Mixie, although I do like Gilbert Gottfried as the voice of the animated version. Like you, I'd much rather see Mixie in a TV episode than in a feature-length film. Live long and prosper, Dave. All right, Dave, uh, thank you for writing in. Uh, yeah, I kind of agree you know, with uh, Dave. I, I enjoy good stand-up as well. I've, it's no secret to anyone who uh, is in my orbit on Facebook that I'm a big fan of George Carlin. I've posted quite a few times, actually, that I kind of wish uh, George Carlin were alive today just so he could comment on uh, kind of some of the craziness going on in the world right now. But And I listened back to a, bu- a bunch of his specials a few months ago. It's amazing how well his comedy is aged and... Maybe that's a little bit sad, too, just because some of these issues that he's commenting on have not gone away or really improved in any way. So it's interesting to see how relevant he remains, even though it's been so long ago and things have not changed. And, yeah, I'm not surprised that the the comedy clubs were kind of considered a hotbed of uh, illegal drug use. It being the 80s, uh, there was higher levels of drug use in places like that. And, yeah... I am quite surprised that Bonkers would willingly be part of this episode, that any real-life comedy club would be a willing part of this episode. I mean, did they not read the episode that they were putting their name on? I don't know. Maybe they didn't care. As far as Mr. Mixius Pitalik, yeah, that was a better episode. And no, Dave, it's not hard to go wrong with an episode featuring our favorite Fifth Dimensional Limp. It's actually very easy to go wrong. I mean, ask Smallville. And yeah, I enjoy Michael Pollard's performance, even though I find his uh, mixy a little creepy. And I'm not as big a fan of his return that I covered a few a few weeks ago, as many of you have already heard. So yeah, I did like Gilbert Gottfried as the voice of Mixie, even though uh, Gilbert Gottfried has that kind of voice that makes you want to pull your eardrums out. And I have good things to say about Howie Mandel in his turn as Mixie as well. I didn't uh, dislike him. Actually, I liked that episode quite a bit when he appeared in Lois and Clark. So I really uh, don't have anything else to say on Dave's letter. Thank you, Dave, for writing in. You can uh, join in too, manascreen at gmail.com. I have uh, one more bit of feedback. It's not really feedback, more of a comment. This is in the Man of Screen Facebook group on the episode posting by uh, my friend Aaron Henley. Hope you're doing well, Aaron. And his comment is, so, Superboy is willing to do a comics-accurate mixie, but everyone else isn't. Ah! Let me have my mixie! I do Aaron's voice poorly. I should have had Aaron I read that and send me a, a recording of it. That's the only way to do that justice. But uh, I don't wear my heart on my sleeve quite the way uh, Aaron does. So, only Aaron can really voice Aaron, if you ask me. So, that's uh, about all I've got to say in my feedback section. I'm going to take a podcast promo break, and when I come back... We're going to discuss the power of evil. Hang around, folks. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Working together, we saved the planet. And I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. Every episode. My name is Jean. I'm a Martian. 
every adventure. <sighs> okay, you guys are so slow. Every hero. Whatever you think you're doing, if you present a threat to the world, the Justice League will take you down. Cindy and Chris Franklin bring you JLU cast. Whatever the future holds, we'll make those choices ourselves. Don't say you don't love me. I'll never say that. Covering the complete animated run of Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. And the adventure continues. There's strength in numbers. What? Like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start this episode off with The Power of Evil. This was episode 11 of season two, directed by Danny Irem. Actually, both episodes I'm covering this week are directed by Danny Irem. The episode was written by Michael Prescott. Guest cast include Key Luke as Sensei, Michael Champlin as Seth, Brett Sipes as the old man, Jim Beck as the cop, and Michael Marzella as the creature. And he's really just the voice of the creature. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. In the serenity of the valley, a box falls off its pedestal and releases an evil force. Two elder men discover the box. How can this have happened? It was in the books for thousands of years. Building its power, its strength. It was time. We should have known. Evil power will be looking for the greatest forces on this world. It will want to destroy all that is good, all that stands for right. There is a great being. His name is Superboy. He lives on the northern continent. The evil power will find this Superboy. It will destroy him. Unless you find this boy first, give him the secret to defeat the evil power that has escaped from us. He will have to use this potion. It contains the blood of our fathers. Otherwise, he will have no chance of defeating the evil. Yes, I will find the boy. I will not fail. Remember, you may only guide the Superboy. He alone will have to fight the power. In Siegelville, Andy and Solana are on their way to, to a karate lesson. I can't believe this guy is giving us karate lessons for free. Surprised me too. I always figured Seth thought of you as obnoxious. Obnoxious? I think he was jealous, that's it. You know Seth and I have been going out for a while. I really don't think that's the case. Well, listen, you think what you want to think, but a guy knows what a guy knows. Hey, jerk, watch your step. As they walk, Andy bumps into a couple of thugs. They decide to start trouble, but Lana finishes it better using some moves of her own. Later, Andy gets roughed up during the lesson, and it turns out that the instructor, Seth, is dating Lana. It becomes apparent that the evil power has taken over Seth's body as he begins to act a little strange when he questions Andy about Superboy. I'd also like to hear stories you might have about Superboy. I thought we weren't going to talk about him. Your rules, remember? Listen, if you want to talk about Superboy, I'm your man. You? Oh, yeah, uh, Clark talks to him, you know, but me and Superboy, there's a bond there. Yeah, really? You spend a lot of time with him. Huh. I'm going to get some coffee. So tell me, do you ever get in touch with Superboy? Okay, I don't mean to brag, but yes, once in a while I pick up the phone and yes, magic happens. 
I'd like to sit and talk with you sometime. Yeah, sure. I'd like that. What, Lana? Clark gonna show up for what? I don't, I don't know. I mean, he said he's gonna try and make it. Meanwhile, Clark is stuck in traffic trying to get to the karate lesson, but there's an accident up ahead. When he goes to take a closer look, the elder man appears and tells Clark to get a message to Superboy to meet him. At the training studio, as Andy and Lana are leaving, Seth cancels his date with Lana. Seth becomes aggressive and grabs Lana when she gets upset. Later at the dorm, Lana tells Andy about her concern for Seth's behavior. Andre! Is Clark here? Uh, no, sorry. What's wrong? Seth. I called the studio, I called his apartment, and, um... There's no answer. Lana, don't jump to conclusions here. I don't know what I'm jumping to. All I know is we had something really good. And now I don't know what's happening. What's wrong with me? I mean, I finally find a guy who I think can take my mind off Superboy, and he turns out just like the rest of them. Hey, it's gonna be okay. As Superboy meets with the Elder Man, he learns what the evil force is capable of. Why hasn't it come to me? It will try to find you uh, through people close to you. Uh, it also possesses bodies and can learn through what they see. Well, what does it look like when it's not in a body? It has no shape, and yet it has all shapes. It cannot be seen, yet it corrupts the physical universe. It is very powerful, but with this potion, you can win. But you must use this potion. Without it, the evil force is all-powerful. The evil must be put in the box. How will I find it? It will find you. Back at the dorm, the evil power attacks Andy. It later goes back to the karate studio and resumes the form of Seth. Clark returns to the dorm and sees what happened to Andy. Andy! Andy, you all right? Uh, 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 that was the weirdest thing I ever saw. Well, I didn't see anything. All I saw was papers flying all over the place. There was this voice. There was this voice. He's asking for Superboy. I thought this was a dream, but you're here. And I, I wouldn't dream about you, Lana. I dream about. Lana, do you know where she is right now? Yeah. She, um, she went to catch Seth at his studio. She said something about how he's acting strange or something like that, and, uh... All right, I'll just clean up by myself, okay, Rumi? At the studio, Lana arrives. As she and Seth talk, the evil power fully possesses his soul, and Seth falls dead. Superboy arrives with the box. The evil power attacks him and keeps him away from the potion. He tells Lana to throw him the potion, and when she does... He uses his heat vision to release it from the vial. The potion forces the evil power back into its box. The elder man appears and takes the box as Superboy and Lana weep over the loss of Seth. Days later, Superboy and Lana arrive in the valley. At first, I didn't understand why you wanted me to return his body to your valley. Well, here in our realm, life and death are mere states of mind. 
Can he ever return? As soon as he slips out of the valley, he perishes. Seth must always remain with us now. He's the keeper of the box. Here in this land, they tell me I can live forever. I guess I should be happy. You will be, Lana. If she had decided to stay, would you have still brought her? Yes. You care for her more than she knows. Every uh, once in a while, you get an episode like this. Just from the name of the episode alone, The Power of Evil, I kind of had a, I felt a little bit of foreboding because that just didn't feel like that's the title of a good episode, if you know what I mean. And we, it starts off innocently enough with an innocuous looking box in an ornate gazebo. And there's a shake, like an earthquake, and it falls and we get some dark clouds and lightning and the box falls releases this force which seems to unleash this kind of this animated spider into the world we all hate spiders don't we you know that's one way to know that it's evil if you have an evil force you best have that evil force in the shape of a spider so now there are these two guys they're supposed to be brothers at least that's what the show tries to tell us one is asian and i'm i guess i'm supposed to believe that uh brett sipes's character is asian as well well no he's a balding white dude with a long beard no there is nothing asian about him he is extremely white. Were there, I don't know, were there no other Asians to uh, play this role? And apparently uh, we learned that the evil force wants to destroy all that is good because that's what an evil force wants to do. And being that Superboy is all good, the evil power is going to go after him. So the old white man, <laughs> God, I'm horrible. I'm horrible. I know it's called him the old white man. So the older man sends the uh, not as old man to find Superboy and Interestingly enough, he magically teleports in a haze of green. So, all right, we got magic going on here. So now, uh, in addition to uh, his haircut that I mentioned uh, last week, uh, Andy's hair now looks uh, lighter. It looks like he kind of fell off the set of the Lost Boys or something. I don't want to say it's like pinkish, but it's a very light blonde. Not Andy's natural hair color, to say the least. So, apparently Lana is uh, dating some guy named Seth, and they run into these uh, two tough guys, and... uh, we have our first uh, incarnation of Kung Fu Lana, which was the joke from uh, Smallville. And here's uh, Stacey Heideck uh, beating up these two biker dudes and sending them on their way in embarrassment. And they'll never mess with her again. And uh, I made a note that I wasn't sure that Lana needed a self-defense class that they're heading to, heading to. But then you realize that she's dating the instructor. So now we know why she's a little bit ahead of Andy, who's uh, a bit of a chicken shit himself. So Seth is the instructor, like I said. He wants to hear about Superboy for some reason. Uh, again, we know nothing about this relationship with Seth. This is the first time we're meeting him. Uh, people don't date anyone else for more than uh, one 
episode in this show. So, again, this is one of those things. If this episode were made now, she'd probably be dating Seth for three or so episodes. That way we actually feel something when what happens to him in this episode happens to him. So, it's easy to tell that there's something up with Seth here. He's showing an interest in Superboy, which was something they apparently didn't talk about before. And there's something ominous about him. And, you know, his mood is changing. He's uh, angry. He gets a little violent. So and Then the scene cuts. The car's stuck in traffic. Apparently there is a, some kind of car accident up ahead. And no one is really sure what happens. Uh, there is someone taking off in a stretcher. And uh, we get the first showing, I believe, in this series of Clark's telescopic vision. It's you know not the greatest effect in the world. It's more of a very fast zoom. I'm pretty sure this is the effect the show is going to use for the rest of the run. Clark didn't get out of his car to actually help. He, he kind of tried to cover the accident. And that's when the Asian dude shows up who knows who Clark Kent is. And he needs to meet with Superboy. And uh, he speaks in riddles. And I guess, I don't remember exactly what he said. Meet me, meet me at the place where the hills are alive with the sound of music or something. I don't know. But I'm not sure just from hearing what he said uh, how Clark was going to know what he was actually describing. And now, as far as Lana's love life is concerned, Seth is canceling their date. And it's uh, not the first time. And uh, she asks what's going on, and he grabs her wrist and basically just says, business is business, and apparently they don't talk about business. And that kind of creates a bit of an awkward situation. You know, this is a behavior that Lana is not prepared for, and it's clearly the uh, first time we're seeing this in Seth. I wish we'd actually kind of seen Seth get possessed, because the first time we see Seth is when they're coming to the karate studio. We didn't get the uh, obligatory scene of the... uh, animated spider descending upon Seth's body to possess him. So we just kind of have to find this out when Lana does. So now Lana comes to the dorm room looking for Clark, and she can't find Seth. So, I mean, again, of course, the evil force inhabits Lana's boyfriend. That's kind of how these stories run in this era. And apparently he was the one taking her mind off Superboy, and now that he's, uh, well, she doesn't know that he's possessed. She just knows that he's being an ass. But her mind is back on Superboy. Andy is uh, trying to be consoling. Uh, Back in the karate studio, when Seth canceled the date, he offered to go with her, you know, because he's trying to move in on Lana, and he'll take uh, any opportunity he can get. You know, I don't trust Andy's motives, and I always feel like he's trying to sell something. Meanwhile, the uh, Asian man here is talking to Superboy. The uh, force possesses bodies and can't be seen when it's not in possession. So, okay. Then Superboy gets the uh, potion. That will lure the evil back into the box, you know. Basically needs to put everything in play. And it's very expositionary. And it just kind of it just kind of gets you where you need to go. It doesn't, there's no way really to deliver that any other way than just through dialogue. So, but the, uh, I always love when they have these old senseis and they try to be mysterious. Superboy wants to know how he's going to find it. He's like, it will find you. Because it always does. What's that line from uh, Lethal Weapon? I think it's the fourth one. Lorna Cole asks uh, Riggs. Does trouble just go looking for you? No. He seems to know pretty much where I am most of the time. That's kind of how super how it is with Superboy. Trouble always finds him. Comes with the cape, I guess. So now we have a sign for the college, and apparently the scientist shoots the university. And there are some cool Easter eggs here. There is the Siegel Center and the Carlin Library. Obviously, the Siegel Center is a nod to Jerry Siegel, one of the co-creators of... Superman, along with Joe Schuster, whose name gets mentioned in almost every episode because of the college. And uh, I believe it was Siegel who pushed really hard for DC Comics to make the initial Superboy comic. Even though, like everything else Jerry Siegel is involved with in DC Comics, there is a a bit of a DC dickery. And uh, 
the other, Carlin Library, is uh, in honor of Mike Carlin, who had written several episodes of the series to this point and will write more episodes as we, well, he's written them a long time ago, but we will cover more episodes that he's written as we go forward. So anyway, uh, right now, things are getting strange at the university. Andy has been lifted into the air and a voice is looking for Superboy and basically uh, Andy gets kind of thrown around. It's very hard to pull off fighting an invisible force. And this is okay. You know, basically a lot of Andy kind of flailing around in the air. On the upside, I didn't see any trace of a wire, so there's that. So apparently the evil force can check in and out of Seth at will. And we get a shot of Seth sitting there, and then he opens his eyes, and uh, they're glowing. So I guess that's how you know that the uh, evil force has come home. So Clark finds Andy uh, underneath the furniture a little bit. Uh, I mean, that attack really uh, threw Andy around quite a bit, and he was buried underneath some bookshelves. And obviously Clark came in the room and uh, was concerned immediately. Kind of his nerdy persona dropped a little bit as he uh, moved some stuff and tried to uh, free Andy. I guess even nerdy Clark has to be good for something. Clark helps Andy out, and then when he hears Seth acting strange, you hear a little zip sound effect, and I guess that's the sound Clark Speed makes when he uh, when he leaves. You would th- I would like to hear uh, Superboy, or for that matter, Superman Super Speed sound a little bit more than like a zipper, but uh, that's what they went through. And at this point, when Clark's leaving, I am ready for this episode to be done with. It's to be honest, this episode's kind of stupid. So, Lana seeks out Seth, uh, trying to appeal to the better angels of his nature, but he's brushing her off. She uh, does not know that he is possessed by an animated spider. And this is clearly the animated spider talking. He's telling her. But then, Seth breaks through. He tells her that he loves her. And, like I said, I'm pretty sure that's the real Seth. Kind of knowing he's about to die as he suddenly turns. His voice gets modulated and deeper. And basically, the creature says that it sucked out Seth's soul, so... He drops like a sack of potatoes, and here comes Superboy with the box kind of tucked under his arm. Lana checks Seth. He's dead. And now we hear they hear the voice, and Superboy is going to have to fight a disembodied spirit. Sometimes I wonder if this episode was Superboy's version of a bottle episode. I mean, they went multiple places, moved, um, went to multiple sets. Superboy is not really the kind of thing that can stay in one place, kind of like a, a Star Trek episode can, but there's a lot of... You know, Andy kind of was thrown around the room by nothing. And now Superboy is basically going to fight an invisible enemy here. And uh, the creature grabs it by the throat. And remember when I commented about how great uh, the Andy uh, thrashing was? I thought I spotted a wire when Superboy went up. I had to go back and check, but I'm pretty sure I spotted it really quickly. So there's a lot of wind. I guess you uh, can't show your opponent when you're fighting a big fan. Lana is crying and the uh, disembodied villain is monologuing. And even though it has no form, it can affect the uh, material universe. So eventually, uh, I guess during this fight with Superboy, as Superboy is purported to, purported to weaken, the evil force can start to become physical because as the evil grows, it can form a disembodied hand and punch Superboy clear across the room. And then we get some teamwork between Superboy and Lana as uh, she takes the potion and uh, he tells her to throw it. And as she does, Superboy explodes the bottle with his heat vision, exposing it, and the being is sucked into the box, almost like a uh, a Ghostbusters trap. So now our Asian friend shows up to announce uh, his success, although Lana is uh, mourning her boyfriend, who was a casualty. And uh, the Asian monk tries to remind Superboy, The evil has been vanquished. You have saved millions of people from needless suffering. Not everyone. 
not even your shoulders can carry the weight of each life as it crosses your path, Superboy. Again, had we met Seth earlier in the season, maybe we would have cared about this boyfriend biting the bullet, but we don't. He was gone. We didn't know about him before this episode, and now he's gone. So, waste not, want not, I guess. So, Lana and Superboy go to the monastery where, and then we learn Seth is alive. Oh, wait a minute. Apparently, uh, the uh, monks asked for him to bring Seth's body to them, and Seth is brought back to life, but the price of immortality is that he can't leave. He is going to spend eternity guarding the little white box in the in the, in the white gazebo. You know, not unlike the knight from uh, guarding the Holy Grail from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, the monk uh, asked if he would still have brought Lana to the valley if she had decided to stay, and Superboy says he would have showing that he will always put others above himself. He is in love with Lana, but because of his career as Superboy, he will never do anything about that. This show will never do anything about any of that, but it'll uh, play with the idea in kind of a love triangle-ish way, but it just never develops. It's just kind of something that spins its wheels throughout the course of the show. And uh, as they're leaving, uh, Superboy kind of runs his hand over Lana's ear, and he t- when he touches her head, that's pretty much exactly what Dean Cain th- did to uh, Terry Hatcher's Lois Lane in uh, the end of the second season of Lois and Clark. And that's how she uh, discovers the secret. I thought there was going to be a wildly inappropriate kiss here at this moment, but the show exercised uh, some restraint. And they're off. This episode is over. Not going to be one of the most memorable episodes of the season. It didn't even have a physical villain. But not what I look for, and I'm glad to be done. So now... I'm going to take a uh, quick break, play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with Superboy, rest in peace. Hang around, folks. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos, snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? Sure, gotta give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? (laughs) Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. (laughs) Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about cheers, yeah. That kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. (laughs) Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to finish this episode off with Superboy Rest in Peace. This is episode 12 of season two. Original broadcast date is December 30th, 1989. So, obviously, the last episode to be aired in 1989. This was directed by Danny Ibram and was written by Michael Marr. And our guest cast is a bit of a long one. Betsy Russell as Serene. Andreas Wisniewski as the android. John Swindells as Professor Henderson. Lamont Lofton as the scientist. Judy Clayton as the lab assistant. Gail Nadler as Gloria. Allison Dieter as Debbie and Harry Burney as the campus guard. And our synopsis is brought to you by TV.com. In the distant future, an advanced people show concern about a time traveler that has gone back to the 20th century. 
the foreign superboy. The time machine was activated about an hour ago. This is a serious breach. If a time traveler survives, the consequences could be catastrophic. I feared this. Have the men in the field found the device? They're still looking feverishly, but we've only had a little under an hour. They haven't dug anything up yet, but they're still looking. Then we still don't know if she'll succeed. Professor Henderson. I came as fast as I could. This is terrible. Professor, we have the coordinates. 20th century, Schuster College. What if the time traveler finds his target? Our time traveler is unaware of his target's secret identity. He'll be looking for someone from Schuster College. One out of thousands. To take time. At least you have his name. I can't believe I'm actually going to meet Clark Kent. What an honor to be chosen. Serene, you must not discuss the future with him. He's young, still vulnerable. A wrong decision could alter the course of history. You'll need this to track him. You have one chance to succeed. If you fail, this whole world could be destroyed. A woman named Serene is sent along with a tracking device to find him before the Traveler does. As Schuster University, the Traveler appears in a girl's locker room. A girl hits on him, but he blows her off and walks through a wall. Later, Clark is gathering information for his story, and the girl hits on him also. How could a man break through solid bricks? Suddenly he appeared right out of thin air. And before I could introduce myself, he smashes right through that wall. Only Superboy could do that. It wasn't Superboy. I wish. Are you busy Saturday night? Clark, stay away from women. She wants to play ball with you today, yes, but tomorrow she will trade you from the team. Um, did the intruder have any other unusual characteristics? Well, he was tall and handsome and strong. Kind of like you, only without the glasses. Are you busy Saturday night? <laughs> Andy, is there something wrong? No, there's nothing wrong. Why do you ask? Well, you seem kind of quiet and distant. And two girls in shorts just walked by and you didn't even whistle. Oh, yeah, that. <sighs> I've given up women. <laughs> I find that pretty hard to believe. Yeah, well, you can blame it on Christy. She dumped me for a guy in her English lit class. I can't believe she fell for that poetry crap. And he's got a zit on the end of his nose. Andy, sometimes love transcends the physical. What, is that a joke? Clark, I just don't know what women want from me. What is it? What do they want? Well, Andy... I don't know, but do you think it's possible that in some minuscule way that sometimes you come across just a little bit too strong? <sighs> Clark, I'm inspired. I'm really glad, Andy. <laughs> By you. Guys, guys, I want you to meet someone. Um, she just transferred to Schuster. This is us. Hi. <laughs> I'm Serene. And I'm in heaven. That's, yeah, that's just a joke. I'm, I'm Andy. It's nice to meet you, Clark. Do we know each other? No, but I know a lot about you. <laughs> what I mean is, 
I've read your stories in the school paper. You have a great future. You really think so? Are you a journalism student? I'm considering it. I'd like to learn more. Maybe you could give me a few pointers. Um, I've got a story I'm working on. I mean, I mean, that would be neat. I just changed my hair. It's a new Elvis thing. Do you like it? I was warning, you want to come over and see my new bug collection? <clears throat> How about dinner on my yacht? Some champagne, some french fries, you know. How about coming over and look at my new revised edition of the encyclopedia? I have a Cadillac convertible. I have a 20 megabyte hard drive. E excuse me, guys. Uh, I'm sorry to break up the party, but uh, we've got class. Okay, I'll um, just entertain Serene. Uh, we didn't shake. I'm Andy McAllister, kind of a freelance, good-looking guy. You want to spend a weekend together? Maybe some other time, Mr. McAllister. <sighs> okay, I'll wait. No problem. When they all leave for class, Andy has a brief encounter with the Traveler. At the dorm, Serene shows up wanting to talk to Clark. They go to a local restaurant where Serene tells Clark that the Traveler, an android, is after him. I thought you wanted to meet somewhere in private. We need to blend into the crowd, Clark. You hungry? I mean, it's still good. Someone is looking for you. You are in great danger. Who'd be looking for me other than my editor if I don't get that story in on time? I'm not talking about humans, Clark. I'm talking about a fourth level MX-307 android. It may look like flesh and blood, but it's a machine with powers equal to Superboy's. A state-of-the-art killing machine programmed to destroy you. Who are you, Serene? A friend who's come a long, long way to warn you. Moments later, the traveler enters the restaurant looking for Superboy using his wrist-mounted vital stat scanner. When Serene's tracker alerts her, she tries to help Clark escape, but the Traveler's scanner picks up on him, and he attacks Clark. Serene helps him into the kitchen, where she reveals that she knows Clark's identity. She tears open his shirt, and he runs into the dining area to fight the android. They test each other's strength using heat vision, and Superboy is defeated. The Traveler then tries to destroy Superboy by continuing to use his heat vision. Serene jumps in to help, and they distract the Traveler long enough for them to escape. Serene takes Superboy, now Clark, to the site of the future transport cell of Metropolis. But why is this android after me? It was designed by a small but very powerful group of scientists. They sent it down to destroy you, so you will never have any descendants. I have descendants? I'm gonna get married, have children? With who? Lana? All I can tell you is that it is your descendants who protect the future. They are the only ones who can stop these evil men from destroying our world. Serene, you have most of the same power as I do. Does that mean you're one of my... No more questions, Clark. Our destiny is now. The Traveler continues to track them, and they go through the building. As Clark learns more about the Traveler, Serene tells him that the Traveler self-destructs after completing its mission to destroy him. Then, her tracker goes off. Clark immediately begins to change Superboy, and then out walks Lana from behind the corner. Clark bashfully tries to change back. Lana comes on to Clark, and then Serene realizes that she's the Traveler. Clark again changes to Superboy and fights the Traveler. When Superboy is thrown into a wall, he quits moving. The Traveler scans him and detects his heartbeat slowing to a stop. Now that Superboy is dead, his mission is complete, and he self-destructs. Serene fears the worst until Superboy returns to life. No! Superboy! No! He's dead. 
Don't cry, Serene. I'm fine. I don't understand. You were dead. Almost. I took a chance that the android wasn't programmed to know that I could make my heart beat so slow that I could appear to be dead. So he thought his mission was complete and self-destructed. That's right. I figured the best way to destroy him was to let him do it for me. You were brilliant, Superboy. Your descendants will be proud. And what about your future, Serene? Goodbye, Superboy. Wait! Serene, where are you going? I'm sorry. I wish I could have been somebody who could love you. Would you bury this with me? What? mission is also complete. I'm an android too. No, Serene, no! Superboy, saddened to lose Serene in any way of knowing about his future, buries her and the tracking device. In the future... Professor, we've just found it. They dug it up in Sector 8. So she did succeed. I'll be back. <laughs> My first thought upon watching this episode was, did Michael Moore just finish watching The Terminator before writing this episode? Because, you know, one of my first notes is that this episode is very Terminator-ish, but as I went through and I realized it's almost a ripoff of The Terminator when you think about it, the android from the future and the other android coming back to quote-unquote protect them. It's, that's pretty much Terminator by the numbers. Of course, at this time, the only Terminator film that was out was the first one from 1984, but jeez, James Cameron could have gotten a writing credit on this. So, like I said, this episode starts in the far future. Apparently, something is going back in time, and the scientists here are concerned about it, and they're, they're sending someone else back in time to meet Clark Kent, Obviously, I'm guessing they know the truth that he is Superboy, so someone is going back in time to kill someone and destroy the future. That's the plot of the Terminator and Superboy Rest in Peace. And I guess they time travel by stepping on a Star Trek transporter pad, so we're getting all of our science fiction uh, references uh, right in a row here. Terminator, Star Trek, and now we're in the woman's locker room, and of course, I'm guessing this uh, beefy dude fully dressed showing up in this room and... Uh, this girl dropping her towel in awe is supposed to be funny. It's not. Although his response that he has no use for the female of your species confuses her. I just love the uh, befuddled look on her face. She's kind of just, the camera goes right into her face and she's got this confused look on her face. Almost like she's saying, really? You know, here she is standing there stark naked. And she still gets turned down by uh, what she thinks is the man. So Clark is uh, doing a story on what happened. And this same girl who is now fully dressed. And now she's eyeing Clark like he's a piece of meat. And it's making him all kinds of nervous. She uh, clearly doesn't get out much. No shame, though, because uh, as we're going to see, she'll ask just about anybody with a penis what they're doing on Saturday night. So apparently it's been so long since she's had a date that uh, she'll settle for anyone. I think the way uh, we're act the way she's acting, you can see why she hasn't had a date. 
So apparently Andy has just been dumped and he's swearing off women, at least for a few minutes. Clark asks Andy if he thinks... He, Clark puts the idea in Andy's head that he comes on a little too strong and uh, Andy seems to consider it for a moment until Lana comes up and uh, introduces uh, the boys to Serene. This is our traveler from the future that is being sent back to meet Clark Kent and that she knows who he is and says she has a great future and uh, Clark thinks she's talking about journalism, but she's not. So seeing Serene uh, makes Andy forget that just a minute ago he was swearing off women. And now we get this weird sequence that goes on for far too long of Andy and Clark jockeying for, for position. And and it's a real uh, super close-up, too. You know, right up in their faces. Not unlike the uh, confused look on Naked Girl back in the locker room. But uh, Clark will say something, then Andy will push him out of the way. And it's, like I said, this goes on for far too long. You know, you get the point immediately that both, they both want to talk to Serene. This, though, this... A sudden competition with Andy is very out of character for Clark. He is never this assertive with anything. And it just does that, and it drags on too much. And then Lana, thankfully, puts us out of our misery, and uh, we move on. Back in the dorm room, Andy is uh, taking a selfie with his uh, camera, and uh, Serene shows up, and she and Clark leave, and uh, then Andy takes more selfies with his camera, and, uh, which is not as easy when you can't see uh, something almost immediately. You know, for all we know, Andy has a couple pictures of his chin. You know, taking a picture of yourself is not very easy when you can't see what you're taking a picture of. So now they're out in a restaurant. Serene tells Clark that there's an android after him to kill him. Meanwhile, you know, we know who the android is. They don't. But uh, the android is touching people to find out who they are. He'd already done it to Andy. And clearly, uh, Serene knows that he's Superboy. But she's still not releasing that information. She's talking to Clark as though he's just Clark. She is not revealing that she knows he's Superboy, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense why she's not doing that. We have to just tell him if that she knows, and they can go from there, but nope, we have to play it this way. And uh, the android touches Clark and finds him in a phone booth, and then it's on. It pulls Clark out of the phone booth and starts wailing on him, and uh, stealthily, Clark uh, blows the android over. So, with Clark on the ground, I was half expecting Serene to say, uh, come with me if you want to live, but thankfully she doesn't. And uh, Clark is still acting like Clark, and then uh, Serene finally drops the bombshell. This is a bombshell to Clark. It's not a bombshell to us. We know. She knows who he is, and she pulls his shirt open. And from this point on, the uh, rest of the episode is basically a 10-minute fight. They uh, lock heat vision, and uh, the android proves itself more powerful as it sends its own heat vision back at Superboy, and eventually it wears Superboy down and knocks him down. And then he turns on his own heat vision on Superboy's face, and he's glowing red in pain. So now uh, Serene gets back into the fight, and they run, and then they're back in disguise. Not sure why, but they are. So so here we learn that the android was sent back to make sure Superboy doesn't have any descendants. I'm sure the fact that he has any de- that he'll have any descendants at all blows his mind, and uh, it did take him a minute to process that. Of course, he wants to know who it is. He immediately asks if it's going to be Lana. You know, obviously he hasn't met Lois Lane yet. And Clark is still asking questions about Serene, but she's not giving any about the future. And... He asks her if she is one of his descendants. Uh, he, you know, she's uh, you know telling him that her mission is to make sure he survives. No pressure, because if he dies, the future dies with him. So apparently, a uh, super boy's uh, descendants will protect the future world that uh, Serene is from. We just know that it's far in the future. We don't exactly know how far it is. Again, this is another idea that's going to come up in uh, Lois and Clark. When they do time travel with H.G. Wells, he constantly refers to this utopia. 
that was created by Superman's descendants. And again, even there, Tempest, going back in time to stop that. But at least it's not nearly the Terminator ripoff that this episode is. So now Lana shows up just as Clark is changing into Superboy. And uh, I didn't buy that this was Lana right off the bat. And uh, I kind of surprised he did too. But, you know, again, Superboy probably has a million ways to determine whether this is Lana or not. But uh, sure enough, she tries to choke him out, which is unsuccessful. And then we got another, what I think is a funny moment. During the next shirt rip, I could have sworn I saw a button fly off. You normally don't see that. I'm guessing most of these uh, shirt rip shirts are breakaways, so they don't get ruined. So, so the android tells Superboy to prepare for termination. If that's not on the nose, I don't know what is. Obviously, uh, that bit of information about the android self-destructing, if it thinks Superboy is dead, will come into play. And uh, while Superboy and the android are fighting again, she's not helping. Like, she's doing something else. She's got something better to do. So, after Superboy gets wailed on for a minute, uh, she takes off her jacket and uh, is ready to get into the fight. So, yep, I was right. The android thinks it killed Superboy, and he goes and blows himself up. Apparently, it's not a very smart android if Superboy can fool him like this. And even Serene thought he was dead, and uh, Serene was crying over him, believing that she had failed her missions. But you, you kind of hear uh, the, I guess maybe this is done with the music department, the uh, drum beats that, uh, the ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom meant to sound like a heartbeat. And that's how you can hear the heart rate ramping back up. So, and then in a twist at the end, we learn that Serena's an android. And apparently, uh, Serena has emotions because she was crying over Superboy. I don't think she was faking that. And she, too, blows herself up. And uh, she is has one request of Superboy to bury the disc with her. And uh, Superboy buries it. He kind of wishes that she had told him more about the future. But, you know, the first thing we learn is not to pollute the time stream with knowledge of the future. And the reason the disc had to be buried with her and that's so the future people can know that she succeeded. Again, I don't know how far in the future that they are, but they find it. This is not unlike uh, Aquaman, that Super Friends episode where Aquaman knew exactly where the Hall of Justice would be in 65 million years and put this communicator in there for Superman to find. And then as the episode ends, we hear the android laugh and say, I'll be back. Yeah, not very subtle with the Terminator references here. It wasn't a bad episode, but... This episode copied the Terminator storyline so much it wasn't even funny. Right down to the exposition and some of the poses. It doesn't make it a bad episode, just unoriginal in every way. So next time, we head into the 1990s with Super Menace and Yellow Perry's Spell of Doom. And if you want to send feedback, it's always welcome. Manscreen at gmail.com. If you want to leave a message in the Facebook group, just Put Man of Screen Podcast in your search feed and the show shook him up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. Till next time, folks. I'll be back. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.